Join me in Acts chapter 3 this morning. Our reading this morning is from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Let us go to God again together and pray for his help in hearing his word, understanding his word, staying awake for his word, all the things that we have need of, for we are but creatures, are we not? Let us pray. Our gracious God, we come before you desperately needy. It is not our nature to think of heaven. It is not our nature to think of Christ. But it is your nature, and you have given us your spirit. We praise you, O God, that we are not vainly asking for that which you have not already testified you will for us to have. We have been born of the Spirit. Your word has been implanted meekly in us in our union with Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we pray that you would stir us up to love and good deeds. Help us hear your word, not just for ourselves, but for all whom we have obligations to in this life. Let us believe what we hear. Grant it to be so. Let us obey what we learn. Grant it to be so, O God. Help us or there is no help for us. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. In your name, amen. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? This is God's word. For more than 40 years, the man we have just heard about was lame 
in his feet. Forty years. All through his childhood, no cure was found. All through his youth, no cure was found. All through his 20s, all through his 30s, no cure for his feet could be found. His life was a life of misery, a life of constant dependence on the work of other people. How much worse of a person would you be if this man's life was yours? How much better of a person would you be if this man's life was yours? But more importantly than those two questions, would you live any life God required of you if it meant that by that life and that life alone, you would come to know the salvation of God? If you would, then you have nothing to complain about today, for you are living that life. We learn how old this man was in the very next chapter, where his healing is still the subject of great amazement and conversation. Acts 4, verse 22 says, The man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. For more than 40 years, something was dead in his feet. For 40 years, this deadness defined every hour of his existence. Our text says he was lame from birth, verse 2 of chapter 3. He could not carry his body the way you carry your body all over the city, all over your house, in and out the back door in the summer, in and out to the shovel in the winter. He could do none of it. He had to be carried by others everywhere he went, which means he did not go many places at all. People had other things to do, and he could do nothing by himself. Apparently, he and his family decided the most productive way he could spend a day was begging for money from a crowd. And so the temple in Jerusalem became the best place to guarantee the presence of a crowd. There he put his pitiful condition on display every day. Like an exhibitionist, there he was, every day, sitting on the ground right next to hundreds, literally, of living feet walking past him every hour, especially at the hours of prayer. On the day this lame man met Peter and John, our text tells us it was the ninth hour of prayer. This would have been 3 p.m. The Jews kept three formal times of prayer each day, morning and evening, and at noon. Remember Daniel. He was a captive in Babylon, but he went up to his bedroom every day and prayed three times, opening the windows toward Jerusalem. Don't let anybody tell you it's a bad idea to create regiments of prayer like that for yourself. It is not. God approves of it. So this ninth hour, prayer is mentioned in verse 1. It's the evening prayer. And it may have been, in fact, the same day that Peter had just preached his first sermon on. 
in chapter 2. This may still be the day of Pentecost, six hours later, because Peter was preaching at the third hour, 9 a.m. But there is something far more significant here than the details of the clock. This miracle of healing did not just happen at the time of prayer. It happened in the temple at the time of prayer. Now, practically, these two things, of course, guarantee a, guarantee a crowd for a beggar. And beggars are very practical. But theologically, these two things, the temple and an appointed time of prayer, reveal something far more significant that the Spirit of God is revealing to the church. The temple and prayer are the earthly place and the earthly means by which the Jews drew near to God. But what happens here in our text is that our risen Lord Jesus Christ takes all their God-seeking attention to himself, right in the very place where they would not expect to find him. It is like someone photobombing a picture of the Grand Canyon, Acts chapter 3. Jesus Christ suddenly steps into the scene from his throne in heaven and says, I am greater than this. I am the one you are all seeking. I am the temple. I am the dwelling place of God. I must be the center of attention. For I am the Son and the Savior. I have come to seek you and to save you who are lost in sin. So when Peter says to the lame man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, when he says those words, the presence and the power of God's Son takes center stage at the very place, at the very time, the Jews would have understood themselves to be seeking the presence and the power of God. But God is going to show that his presence and power is only found in his son, Jesus. So as Peter declares that name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and that beautiful name, it echoes off the stone walls of this gate of the temple. At that moment that the name is echoing, the living temple, Jesus Christ, comes and makes a living stone out of this lame beggar. And, of course, that's Peter's language in his epistle. The living temple, which had been torn down into death by crucifixion and then raised up in power by resurrection on the third day, he, the living temple, Jesus Christ, comes and gives life to the dead feet of a man who was not even seeking life. This is why the miracle is a sign. It's called that in Acts 4.22. It's called a sign. It is a sign of the gracious salvation of the sovereign Savior who freely bestows life on men who were dead in their sins. That's what it's a sign of. The temple is alive. 
beloved. The temple is alive. Didn't he tell us it would be alive? Jesus said to the Pharisees, tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. He spoke of his body. He is the dwelling place of God with men. The temple is alive and he is making sinners alive in the power and presence of his life. Now the 40-year-old man with dead feet came to the temple for money. He did not come seeking the salvation of God. He did not come seeking eternal life. He did not look up and ask Peter and John, tell me about the Savior. Tell me about eternal life. Give me Jesus. No, he did not ask for that. He was at the temple for earthly reasons, not eternal. And that means the man with dead feet was far more like the people walking past him than he realized. Or to switch it around, the crowds with living feet were far more like the lame man than they knew. They were all coming to the temple, but not to seek the salvation of God. Not to seek it in the only place it could be found, Jesus Christ. If they were seeking God's salvation, Acts 2.42 tells us where they would be. They would be devoted to the apostles' teaching. They would be clinging to Christ by clinging to the apostles. The Jews in Acts chapter 3 are those who either heard but didn't believe the sermon in Acts chapter 2 or those who were not present for it. But either way, they are men of the flesh. And verse 12 will bear it out as we get to it. They are not clinging to the apostles to cling to Christ. These temple crowds who are upright, who are mobile, who are, big word alert, ambulatory, these temple crowds are lame. There's something profoundly dead in them. They have a deadness in their trespasses and in their sins, and this deadness in them is evident in that they cannot leap at the name of Jesus Christ. They cannot rejoice at the name of Jesus Christ. Later in one of his letters, Paul will say this of these folks. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, who is the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. Let us never forget, let us never forget how even serious religious people can be dead and blind to the salvation of God. The crowds at the temple are a testimony to this very dark phenomenon. Men and women with some kind of visible orientation toward God, but they cannot see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
They cannot rejoice in the gift of God's Son. All their religious observances have not healed the deadness in their eye. All their religious observances have not healed the deadness in their heart or the deadness in their faith. Let us not be fooled by religious observances, especially because we ourselves must keep them. We must be on special guard. But let's not be fooled. It is Jesus Christ alone who gives us life in God. You come to church. I see you here today. Have you come to Christ? Have you come to Christ as a Savior, as a sinner needing his salvation? He will not reject you if you come on those terms. And beloved, let us not be fooled by something else. Let us not be fooled by the ones who suffer. We owe them our wise compassion. We owe it to them. We owe them our wise compassion. But sufferings are not a guarantee of salvation. The lame man himself is a testimony to this very truth. The most afflicted of men need a savior because affliction does not atone for sin. Only the blood of Christ atones. No man or woman earns God's salvation by enduring a life of misery. Only the blood of Christ atones. When Peter said, I have no silver, I have no gold. By the way, I I have to tell you how much I appreciate Peter saying that. My wife has often called me Johnny Cashless. And I finally found a proof text for my bad public behavior, not having green bills. When Peter said, I have no silver, I have no gold, but what I do have I give to you. When Peter said that, he is preparing the man to hear that he has a need that was greater than any earthly remedy. A man in misery for 40 years still had need for a savior because he was not just dead in his feet. He too was dead in his trespasses, dead in his sins. Let's not be fooled and let's not be silent among the suffering. Let's tell them about Christ and salvation, that they too need a savior and they have one in Jesus Christ. So when we look at this situation in Acts 3, many of the people going into the temple that day at Jerusalem were as spiritually dead as this man's feet were physically dead. But deadness has always been the condition in which the salvation of God has come. Always. God is not up in heaven pacing the floor, looking for somebody who has a spark of life to then add his wood to. Deadness has always been the condition to which the salvation of God begins. Jesus said, it is the sick who need a physician, not the well. 
You see, the dead are no difficulty for God at all. We cannot make ourselves alive to the salvation of Christ, but Jesus Christ, who has life in himself, graciously, zealously, powerfully makes those dead in their sins alive, even when they aren't looking for it. The scripture says in Ephesians 2.4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. If you're a Christian, that's your story. Stick to it. This is why of all people in Jerusalem on that day, it is the lame man who becomes the sign. The saving presence and saving power of Christ falls upon a man who is known by everyone for the deadness in his feet. Verse 10 says they all recognized him. This man achieved something probably few in Jerusalem had achieved. Notoriety. Fame. Not because of his strengths, but because of a deadness in him. Not known for his great wealth, not known for his great achievements, not known for his religious works, not known for his religious discipline. He was known for his wretchedness. He was known for being les miserables, the miserable one of Jerusalem. He was known as the one who all other men in Jerusalem were most glad not to be. What a perfect sign of the men Christ saves. But it turns out that this man, a man of no value to other men, is the man to whom the true and living temple comes to save. And this is a sign. A sign that Jesus did not come for the healthy but for the sick. Let me read you his whole words in Mark 2.17. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That text, of course, is the Lord's own warrant on how to interpret Acts 3. The connection between the deadness in feet and the sinner who needs salvation. If the people of Jerusalem saw this sign, They would regard themselves before God as they regarded this lame man before themselves, as of no value in their sins. And with this beggarly humility about their own worth, they would become ripe for the first time, ripe for the salvation of God and his Son. Beloved, only when you know yourself to be ruined by sin will you leap at the name of Jesus Christ. I don't know how many times we can say this. I hope we can say it a thousand more. Let this be an examination of your heart. If you are embarrassed by Jesus, if you don't want to talk about him, if you don't want to praise and adore him, if you don't want to learn about him, it's simple why. I used to be like that. I was 15 and 16 and 17 and 18, just like that. 
It was simple. Why I was like that? Because I did not see myself with any deadness in me because of my trespasses and sins. I didn't see myself as a needy beggar before Jesus Christ. And so I was not thrilled. I was respectful. But that is not salvation. If you think of yourself as better off than a beggar, you will keep walking past Jesus Christ. You will keep him at arm's length, and you will not cling to Jesus publicly the way this lame man is found clinging to Peter and James in verse 11. What an extraordinary report from Luke in verse 11. Here is a man whose feet and ankles are perfectly healed and strengthened. It says even before this, he is walking about and leaping about. Yet in verse 11, after this much leaping, he is clinging to Peter and John. The Greek there is, he sees them. Now, if he needed one of them for balance, one of them would, been, would have done. Because a man who is a cane has two legs for a man who has none. But he seizes both of them. He is hanging on them, unembarrassed of his new affections and his hungry love for the name that they have named, Jesus of Nazareth. His clinging is a sign of how sinful beggars now saved cling to Christ. He's clinging to Christ's messengers. And why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't all sinful beggars now saved cling to Christ like this? Have such public, unembarrassed affections for Christ? Why wouldn't they when Jesus Christ has come to them and has scooped them up in his arms of salvation and has kissed them with eternal life? Why wouldn't they? Be so unembarrassed to to cling to him and his church. Jesus is not ashamed to call sin-sick beggars brothers. How could they now be ashamed to cling to him before all the crowds of of unbelieving men? Beloved, the lame man is a sign to all men. He's a sign especially on this day in Acts 3 to religious men, men who are crowding into the temple at the ninth hour of prayer, serious religious men, austere, committed, but who are driven by the flesh, who are not willing to be made beggars for their salvation. This man is a sign to all of us that we need Jesus Christ because outside of him we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But here is the wonder of grace. 
who has come and given this blind man what he wasn't even seeking? The risen Lord Jesus Christ. This man wanted money. He wanted a little bit more of the earth to numb his misery. Jesus gave him more than he was ever expecting. Maybe that's why you came to church today. Maybe you didn't come here seeking salvation or to be built up in your salvation, but came here for some other reason. Surprise of surprise. That, even that hardness of heart does not keep Jesus from conquering and touching and saving you. This is the grace of our Savior. Let us pray to him. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the sign of this 40-plus-year-old lame man. We thank you for the new affections that have taken over his heart, his mind, his mouth, his body. We thank you for his unhindered love of Jesus as the Savior of sinners. Father, we thank you that you have visited us in this same way. And many of us, maybe most of us, maybe all of us are here today to praise Jesus unhindered, unembarrassed with the new affections of a saved sinner. Lord, you are mighty to make men new. You are mighty to give us the life of your son where we were dead in our own life. But Father, if there are any among us today who are indeed of your elect people, who are yet outside of Christ, outside of the faith, who have not yet come to him as a beggar, seeking his body and blood, oh Lord, we pray that it would please you to come to them. Come to them against all their readiness, which is none. Come to to them against all their willingness, which is none. Conquer them, ravish them, forgive them, save them. Father, we pray that you would Give us the joy of our salvation and never let us forget who we are. Beggars showing other beggars where to find living bread. In your beloved Son, in his name we pray, amen.